Chapter 2 of A Book of Bargains. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Book of Bargains by Vincent O'Sullivan. Chapter 2 My Enemy and Myself. In the garden, when I was a child, I used to stare for hours at the white roses. In these, there was for me a certain strangeness, which was yet quite human for I know that I was full of sorrow if I found the petals strewn over the hushed grass. I had a terror of great waters, wild and lonely. I saw an austere dignity in the moon shining on a flat sea. Things, cordage and broken spars cast ashore by the ocean, told me wonderful sad tales. And because my head was thick with thoughts, I had little speech, and for this I was laughed at and called stupid. He was always a dull child, murmured my mother, bending over me. When I, in the crisis of a fever, was on the point of embarking for a vague land. As I grew older, I still dwelt within my soul, a satisfied prisoner, the complaint of huge trees in a storm, the lash and surge of breakers on an iron coast, the sound of certain words, the sight of dim colors which blend sometimes in gray sunsets, the heavy scent of some exquisite poisonous flower, the contemplation of youthful forms engaged in an unruly game. <laughs> In these things also I found perfect sensation and ecstasy. Still, my tongue held to its old stubbornness. I was ever delayed by a habit of commonplace speech, a shame at exposing my thoughts. In time, I won a cloud of easy acquaintance, but my awkwardness in conversation, my tendency to be maladroit, call it what you like, always stepped between when I was about to make a friend. Then at last came Jacquette. I remember that she was playing a composition by Chopin, a curious black-colored thing, when I first came into her company, and now even as I write, when our love is over, I hear that somber music again. But the important matter is that here was the person I had been seeking so long, here was the mind to meet with my mind. With her I could, at length, get out of myself, as we now say, become free. All the dear thoughts which had for years dwelt within me, in close privateness, I gave to her, all my desires, all my mean hopes. Ah, the merry airs we had then, her bright laughter which, as wind, drove glumness as foam before it. I think I tired her of my enthusiasms and decisions, but it was so sweet to have someone listen and understand, and she never would admit that she was tired. Nay, one morning in the apple orchard, when the wind was turning her hair to the sunshine, she kissed me very prettily on the mouth. After that, I forgot how long it was till I came in one night and found my enemy sitting with her at the fireside. He, he was not my enemy then, mind you. Indeed, I thought him a nice, pleasant creature with a mighty handsome face. We became familiar. He seemed to like me, and I was sure I had gained another friend. The months glided by, and we three came to sitting together late at nights. He and Jacquette, the wise people, silent, gazing at each other, I, the fool, in the middle, talking in a youthful, impassioned way. Once I paused suddenly and looked up and caught a somewhat contemptuous smile peeping from the corners of Jacquette's mouth, dancing in her eyes, while he, for an answer, fell a-laughing into her face. Of course, I must have wearied them both, bored them, as we say, to desperation, but I was a very young man, with all the warmth and admiration of the young, and in the time of youth the woman is always older than a man. Besides, I loved her so much. And I had such strange pleasure in loving her that I think it was rather cruel of her to laugh. Why did you laugh at me? I asked, when I was twisting a garland of wild rose for her hair. Oh, I didn't laugh, she exclaimed. 
Or if I did, she added, looking down with a tooth on her lip, it must have been because I was so pleased to hear you saying beautiful words to us, poor ignorant things. The next day I had an affair of great importance in the town where I lived, so I told Jaquette that on account of this affair I could not go down, as my custom was, to her cottage by the sea that night. But as the day waned and the night closed in, I became the thrall of a longing to hear her singing voice, to play fantastic music with her delightfully. Thus it came about that it was nearly eleven o'clock when I reached the shore and hearkened to the calling sea. There was a note of melancholy, almost a sob, and the noise of it tonight, and that, taken with a monstrous depression, filled me strangely with the desire to die, to give up life at this point. I saw a light in Jaquette's bedroom, but the rest of the little house was dark, and I was turning away when my hand chanced to strike the door handle, which I pushed and found the door not locked. Let me go in, thinks I. I shall sit a while and dream of Jaquette, and a few chords touched softly on the pan piano will tell me, love, I am dreaming of her. Here, perhaps you will say, I was wrong, but I was ready to welcome the servant's company, or, in spite of his growing offensiveness, my enemies, should I find him there, rather than be alone with my saddening thoughts. The room I chose to sit in, because there was a dying fire in it, was just under Jaquette's bedroom. And ere I had sat a minute, I became conscious of voices in the room above. As soon as I made out the man's voice... A thousand serpents seemed literally to eat their way into my brain, turning my vision red, and I lay for an hour, maybe, on the carpet fainting and stricken and dazed. Now, at last, after an hour, I was myself, or rather more than myself, with every nerve tight as a fiddle string, still seeing red as I unclasped the long jackknife which the Greek sailor had given me, and laid it in the hollow of my hand. I knew that it would dawn by three o'clock, so I stood quite still, only moving my tongue over my dry lips and shaking my head to keep a sweat from running into my eyes. The cat cried in the road, and the breakers thundered against the rocks. A little before dawn, while it was yet dark, I heard a murmur of low voices, her voice and my enemies, and then the man came down the stairs. "'Good night, my sweet love,' said Jacquette. "'Oh, my darling, good night,' came from my enemy, and so he banged the door behind him. One moment I paused to peer through the window and make sure of my man. Then I fetched a run and was on him like a panther, holding him close with his hot breath scorching my face. Coming on him from behind as I did, the middle finger of my left hand struck his eye, and now as I pressed, the eye bulged out. My friend, he groaned, for Christ's sakes have pity. To hell with your friendship, I said. Much pity you had for my honor says I, and with what with that I let him have the knife in his throat, and the blood spurted over my hands, hot and sticky. As soon as I could get free of his clutch, I looked up at Jaquette's bedroom window, and there she was, sure enough, in her nightdress with the blind in her hand, gazing out. Straight up to her room I went, and flung open the door. She turned to me, gray and whinging. My little love, she began. I put my hands on my hips and spat hard into her face. Then I tramped downstairs and out of the lonely cottage. I had not the least fear of detection. The servant slept in an outhouse, and the place was too desolate for any chance passenger. I stood triumphing by the corpse of my enemy, but even as I looked, the moon shooed from a rift of cloud, lighting the blood, and the hue left by violent death in the features, and I ran for my life from that hideous one-eyed thing. I came to the town and to a house where I lay constantly. About four o'clock, 
and a curious trembling fit. I bathed my head and hands, however, in a heavy perfume, and then became strangely calm and fell to thinking of the righteousness of the deed. Just there was the consoling thought. Certainly I had done a murder, but in doing it I had delivered punishment to a traitress and her paramour. Now that the thing was over, it was clearly my duty to forget all about it as soon as possible. In this I set myself to do, aided by a cigarette and a novel of the ingenious Miss Jane Austen. I had succeeded. In my aim, I was clear-minded and very serene, when of a sudden something heavy fell against the door of my room. At this hour, I murmured in surprise, and went to the door. A body that nearly knocked me down, the dead body of a man, fell into the room and lay face downward on the carpet. Then I did the one act I shall never cease to regret. From a moment of kindness, pity, curiosity, what you will, I bent down and turned over the corpse. Slowly the thing got to its feet, my enemy, with a dry gaping wound in his throat and his eyes hanging from its socket by a bit of skin, stood before me face to face. Oh God, have mercy, I screamed and beat on the wall with my hands and again and again, God, have mercy. You do well to ask God for mercy, says my enemy, for you will not get much from men. He stood by the fireplace. I beg of you, I said in a low, passionate voice, I beg of you, by all you find dear, for the sake of our old friendship, to leave this place, to let me go free. He shook his head. For Jacquette's sake, he laughed harshly. My friend, I said to my enemy, for Christ's sake, have pity. Pity you, says he in a jeer. You! As I looked at him, I was stung into strong fury. My eyes clung to the wound in his throat and my fingers ached to close in it to misuse it, to maul it. But as I sprang at him, he gave a shriek that woke the town, a shriek of fear, too. Let me think it at this last, like to that of a lost soul when the gates of hell have closed behind forever. And when the people of the house rushed in, they found me kneeling by his dead body with my knife in my enemy's throat, and his new blood, bright and wet, on my hands. They will hang me, because I love Jacquette. End of chapter 2. My Enemy and Myself.